Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But some men and women joined him, joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysius the Areopagite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. We heard a number of different readings today. How do we make sense of all these? The vine and the branches from John's Gospel. Paul addressing the Athenians on the Areopagus famous passage. All of creation praising God in Psalm 148. And then this cruciform shaped hope filled suffering of 1 Peter. How do we how do we make sense of all that? I've asked this before, but in our times, I think it bears asking again, how do we make sense of our lives today? With all the myriad messages and glut of information that we receive and the seemingly random events that we experience, how do we have a coherent sense of where we are and where we're going? Do you ever experience that, that confusion? One of my, um, it's a quirky movie, but it's one of my favorite movies named, called Stranger Than Fiction, starring one of our, our generation's most accomplished and talented actor, actors. He goes by the name of Will Ferrell. <laughs> I said that a little tongue-in-cheek, but he finds himself in this story, this movie Stranger Than Fiction, and discovers that there's an author writing a novel and he happens to be a character, the main character in this novel, it happens to be. And it's a, it's a dramatic experience, partly because he realizes there's, there's a story he's a part of and that he's living out. And you get questions of free will and these things, that's not where we're going. Um, but it's a powerful metaphor, I think, for our lives. So I want to ask the question, of what story are you a part of? What scripts are you either consciously or subconsciously living from? Something that you've written, something that you've imported maybe from the world, what it looks like to live a fully human life? Or are you aware of a larger narrative, a larger story that started a long time ago that you are actually not just a passive observer of, but a willing, active, and vital participant in. Do you feel that? That you are part of a story? If there's one word, I, if I only had one word to sum up the readings and sum up our stories and try to get just a picture of it, uh, it's not explicitly in there, this word, but I think it's underneath it and it's around it and it's over it. And we have to be aware of it if we're going to be able to read the scriptures coherently, all right? And it's this, kingdom, kingdom. Y'all, we have a baptism this morning, and it's a, I'll let that be the, the greater sermon, so I'll try to be as brief as possible, but the baptism illustrates this as well. If we are in a larger story that is about God's kingdom, 
the kingdom story, that means we are called not simply to intellectual assent, knowledge of certain doctrines, as good and beautiful and right and true as they may be. We're actually called to a life. We're called to life in the kingdom. God's kingdom has broken in now in the person of Christ. The fulfillment of God's plan from all ages has been brought to fruition in the person, the life, death, and resurrection of Christ. And now, as Paul preaches, through his resurrection and by being baptized into Christ, if you're a baptized Christian today, whether that was when you were an infant or whether that was recent as, a, as an adult, as a believer, you are baptized into the life and death and resurrection of Christ who is bringing about God's kingdom. And so when Christ says to his disciples, come follow me, he's not saying, come learn some information about God from me. He's saying, the kingdom is here. Are you on board with this story? Repent and believe the good news of the kingdom means, y'all, it's time to join the story. And this, if this is true, this changes everything. Because that means every part of our lives comes under God's reign and rule, God's kingdom. That means it's actually a journey. What did, um, in the book of Acts, uh, self-described Christians as well as critics of Christianity call Christians, those who follow Jesus? They said those who are of the sect, the sectarian group of what? The, the way the way. Jesus was calling people to follow him. Think of even, as we're about to do in a few moments, process to the baptismal font, which is at the back of the church, but is really the front of the church. And we are immersed into Christ, into his reign and rule, his kingdom, and then we follow him, right? We follow him and meet him at the table, and then we follow him out into the world. We practice this every week, but we're not always aware of it. We're called to be followers of the way, Jesus, who is bringing about revealing God's kingdom among us. And so we need, we need to know the story. We need to know the script, and we need to embody it and embrace it, align our lives with it, repent of the ways we have not followed that script because if we don't we're not a part of his kingdom I want you to be in God's kingdom and it's a dynamic thing it's not just it's, it will be completed and fulfilled but it has started now and we are called to be bearers and dwellers and ambassadors of God's kingdom right here and now amen Amen. So briefly now, I know that all sounds good, but you're saying, Colin, does this actually appear in Scripture? I didn't hear it in our passage. So let's briefly look at Acts 17. It's on page 926. And let's get a sense of 
some of the, the nuances and, and the, the places where we see this theme. I mean, it's not just a theme, it's the reality of God's kingdom, all right? Is this, is this idea really there, Colin? Or is this just kind of a theological grid you're putting on top of Scripture? And I would say this is fundamental to God's story and his intentions from the very beginning, as we'll see. All right, so in Acts chapter 17, immediately before our passage, same page, 926, there's a mention of this kingdom idea. Now, you know, if you really want to know something about yourself, uh, yes, ask your friends, but you really need honest friends, and sometimes you need maybe not enemies, but people who, who aren't your best friends to give you some critical feedback, right? Has anyone ever had a chance to do that? What, what really am I like? What are my quirks? Because maybe our close friends won't tell us that. Maybe our spouses will tell us that. That's important. What are my preoccupations? And we learn things about ourselves that some of that might not be fully true, but others, wow, it gives us an insight into ourselves. Chapter 17 of Acts, verse 7, opposition to the Jesus movement, the followers of the way, come in to the authorities and accuse them of two things. One, which is really only a half-truth, and the other, I think, which is actually true. Verse 6, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They want to stop this movement. It wasn't just a, hey, they're learning new doctrines. They're actually turning the world upside down. (laughs) There's this movement happening, and authorities, we want you to stop these followers of the way. Uh, They are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. That's wrong if you read 1 Peter. 1 Peter calls us to submit to authorities, but yet only honor and worship God as king, right? So they're not worshiping Caesar as king, but they're not disobeying Caesar, except by uh, not worshiping him, which caused some problems for Christians. So that was sort of untrue. But then this part is true. They're acting against the decrees of Caesar, half-truth, but they're saying that there is what? Another king, Jesus. Nine times in the book of Acts, you got to be careful drawing a complete theology as you go through Acts, but it's, it's significant. Nine times throughout the book of Acts, the kingdom of God, uh, that phrase is mentioned. They went about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And Paul went about proclaiming the kingdom of God. Jesus, in Acts chapter 1, went about talking about the kingdom of God. So this isn't just, you know, just an idea from... Uh, you know, a pastor. This is, this is in the scripture. The reality of the kingdom is so fundamental to understanding the scriptures and our own lives that we have, to be, we have to see it. We lose sight of it. I lose sight of it so quickly. Part of this conference was helpful and we were talking about the kingdom, uh, but I, I don't think I'm reading it into these texts today. And when we see our lives in light of the kingdom, We see them as part of a larger story that starts from creation. So what would it look like then to join and to live in the kingdom? All right? In our passage, Paul addresses, by the way, for your homework today, go look, go read Psalm 148 again through the lens of the kingdom. And you'll see it there as well. Okay? Um, We don't have time to go there. But look. Look at Psalm 148, look at a number of the Psalms, talk about the reality of God as king 
and his people called to be the community of the king here on earth. So Paul addresses these learned people in Athens. They were the philosophers, you know, Greek philosophy. Uh, this was where it was happening. These discussions, these high-minded folks. And Paul, in a brilliant way, uh, encourages them, says, man, you guys are really thoughtful religious folks. But he, he questions the stories that they're living in. He basically says, you guys have been living only a half story, a half truth. These gods that you worship as unknown, I actually proclaim to you as known, the one true God. Let me tell you the one true story of the world. God, the one true God, Yahweh, was the creator of the heavens and the earth. Therefore, he can't be in human temples constructed by human hands. And God is the one to whom you owe all allegiance, right? So what was he doing if our, our metaphor of story? He was saying, this story that you've been living doesn't match up with reality, right? If this is reality, this line here, your story has deviated from it, okay? And then what does he call them to? <coughs> repent, okay? We hear that word in church all the time, repent. Paul is saying repentance means not just uh, feeling sorry for your sins. Yes, that's part of it. Repentance actually means saying, God, I see it now. Here's, here's your story. Here's your kingdom. And this is where my story is going. This is the script. I'm, this is where our culture's story is. I'm going to drop that story and align myself with your kingdom, your gospel, your truth. That's repentance. Repentance is metanoia. It's a change. It's a turning. Okay? So Paul says, repent. And then he calls them to what? He called them to uh, take a test. We had our catechism class, and I gave them sort of a verbal exam. They did a project. And that was good. That was part of it. But Paul doesn't call them to simply a, a body of knowledge. You see what he called them to with their response. This isn't said explicitly. These, these sermons in some ways are, uh, you know, summaries but what does it say? Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. So there was a sharp, sharp response. Verse 34, but some men had a new idea that they discussed about. Is that what the text says? Verse 34, but some men thought they'd read a book about this, this thing called the way. But some men, and we see women, joined him, joined this movement, and believed. Belief as a trust, the Greek word pistis, faith. Again, I've said this over and over, but we need to get it here in the modern West. Not simply a mental activity, but an entire life alignment 
belief in the kingdom. You wonder why they keep talking about the resurrection, the cross and the resurrection. The resurrection, y'all, which we're about to uh, have a, another reminder and foretaste of in the sacrament of baptism, the resurrection was God's launch button, you could say. We're, we're in kind of a frightful time in, in uh, international uh, policy and history and nuclear warheads and all this. God hits his launch button on the new creation. So Paul says, we know that God's kingdom is coming about and God's king will come back to judge and set the world right. How do we know this? Because the resurrection of the dead has launched. That wasn't a good snap. <laughs> the resurrection of the dead has begun in Jesus and God's new world, his new creation has been launched among us. The old has gone, the new has come. And those who are now followers of this Christ, who put their trust in God for forgiveness of sins and for the refreshing of his spirit, are baptized into Jesus' resurrection and now become part of God's new creation. What did Paul talk about right at the beginning with the Athenians? He talked about the God who made heaven and earth, the one creator God, and his plans for creation to be in unison with him for the whole world to be for his glory and to be obedient to his purposes. Again, think Psalm 148. Sun and moon, stars, rain, thunder, hail, all obeying the voice of the Lord, all of creation, kings and crawling things. Everyone aligned with God's purposes for his world. And now in Christ and those who follow him, into the waters of baptism and out into the world become part of God's story. So are you part of God's story this morning? You may have believed at one time and made that decision, but following Christ, as I said, is an ongoing exercise. Mind, body, spirit, where we come more and more into the purposes of God. So I'll ask you this, what might God be um, stirring in you and how you will think about your followership of Jesus. Is God inviting you to participate in his kingdom? If you're living in the reality of the kingdom and letting your life more and more come under his reign and rule, what are some ways you might live that out? We've had some of these discussions. I've had some of these discussions with you over lunch. Uh, what does that look like at work? Maybe God this week might invite you to walk around your, your office, around the cubicles in the morning, at noon, and before the end of the day, and just pray for your coworkers. I don't know. I need you to help work this out. This is what Paul said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So what is God calling you to? Not to earn his favor, but simply to align your life with the kingdom and get, it's really the exciting work of being a part of his kingdom movement, right? We had talked about this once before and someone else reminded me from another church, what if we started a garden? And I should say this, what if one of you started a garden and we gave the produce to the poorest of the poor among us? 
some of you who have those gardening skills. I don't know what God might be doing among us, but we're called to follow Jesus. And as Dr. Henry says often, and it bears repeating, we're not, as an Anglican church, as part of um, a, a small part of God's gospel kingdom ecosystem, we're not here as purveyors of spiritual goods. You're not just consumers where you sit down. Guys, sorry, we're in an Anglican church. You stand up, you kneel a lot, you participate in the service. So it's not, you don't just come here and hear a concert and then go on your way. You're not here as passive receivers. You're actually stewards of this kingdom. And we're called to practice it every Sunday, and then we're called to live it out every day after that. So how is God calling you? How has he gifted you? And have you, what, how do you need to align your life uh, with his kingdom? Amen? Now when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but some men and women joined him and believed. Amen.